0: Everybody, before we get started today... <laughs> We have some things we need to explain to you the future.
1: The future. Ah, the the thing we've all been waiting to have explained to us. Isn't that true? Um, Mm -hmm. So we are headed into a mailbag episode. Last week, we had um, a really fun interview with Claire Kramer. uh, And the week before that, we did Crush. So that means that we are up to um, season five, episode 15, I Was Made to Love You. Uh, And we wanted to let you know the schedule moving forward because we're actually going to have episodes every week for four weeks weeks. Um, next week I was made to love you. Um, April 29th, we're going to have uh season five, episode 16, the body, uh, the following week, we're going to have a special episode. Um, we're doing a double episode. Um, and you, some of you know why some of you don't, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. And then the following week, right after that special episode, May 13th, we will be doing forever, which is season five, episode 17. So we know that a lot of you are familiar with the series, uh, already, but that some of you are watching along with us for the first time. So we want to be both as careful as we can be with our no spoiler policy, but we also want to be careful with your hearts and your minds as we approach these coming episodes. Um, What we're going to say for now is that once we get into next week's episode, I was made to love you. The arc that starts there and runs very deeply, very poignantly through forever will be very focused on loss and grief. Uh, It's a hard time for a lot of us right now. And those themes as they have in the past, will probably help us come together in really powerful ways, but it might also not be a time in your life where you want to go on that journey. So you do what feels best for you. And if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, you can always send them our way at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. I will be, I promise you, I will be paying special attention to the email inbox over the next few weeks.
0: Also want to remind you that coming up Gosh, very soon. Wow, so soon. Mm -hmm. This This very Saturday. Holy smokes. Uh, We will be doing a live watch, open to all, a group watch of Buffy's Season 3, Episode 20, The Prom, together. That's 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, this Saturday, April 18th, on Instagram Live. And then next month, Saturday, May 16th, At 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, we'll be watching Buffy's Season 3, Episode 21 and 22, Graduation Day, Parts 1 and 2 together. Yes, that's right.
1: Yes. So as you've probably already heard in our other episodes, we are watching prom next Saturday, because it is when our prom was supposed to be. And also right around the time when a lot of you uh, may have been heading to your proms that are not happening now. Uh, And then of course, graduation for so many of you who are going to celebrate graduations who are now not able to do that. So this is our little Buffy way of doing that together. Um, And thank you to the listener who wrote in with the suggestion on graduation day. Uh, It's very, very exciting. And Jenny, I think you're uh, hard at work on a graduation cap for your dog, Frank. Is that right? yep so, yep just <laughs> chipping away uh so, chipping right away at that okay good Without well, you have till may 16th um <laughs> yeah can you
0: hear the, duh, 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 can you hear my sewing, sewing machine back? Yes.
1: <laughs> Um, Also in the land of Patreon, um, we are rocking and rolling over there. And so many thanks to those of you who have joined us as new patrons. Um, I know that uh, you are all minded to support your community at all turns. And that also means supporting us in our work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have a new podcast that is only on Patreon. It is called Feels Like the First Time. And it is a podcast where Joanna Robinson and I watch movies together that I have never seen before. We've done Lord of the Rings. We did Indiana Jones, and we are just rounding the bend through uh, three of the Alien movies, which I am—they uh, are my favorite so far out of all the things yeah, that we've watched. Oh rocks. my god, so good! So, um, if you want to join us, you can do that uh, Patreon.com/slash Bufferingcast, and it's also available to all of the patrons at Joanna's Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash Storm of Spoilers. I predict what I think will happen in the first installment uh, of each uh, franchise, and then we come back together again and talk about it. It's been <laughs> it's been really fun, like truly, truly fun. Um, also, Jenny, you and I are doing something for our ten dollars patrons uh, special episodes called rewatch. I'm sorry, what is rewatch. it called? Rewatch. Oh 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 oh. Um, we did a rewatch of season three, episode 14, bad girls, of course, why wouldn't we begin there? And, um, we will be doing another one, uh, with graduation days, parts one and two, we'll be doing a rewatch episode for our patrons, uh, probably timing out with that watch that Jenny just talked about. So that's fun. Jenny, one more thing before, this mailbag, I have to say, it is is, like truly, I think you're all going to have a great time. Jenny and I had so much fun. Is this the best mailbag ever? I think it it might be. Like it truly might be. Um, And before we get into the mailbag, I'm going to give you um, the final installment of an ongoing spooky news segment. (gasps) Yes, you will finally learn. And now the thrilling conclusion to the death of old man Seaver. If you're just tuning in, this is a story I wrote, a horror story I wrote when I was 11 years old um, unearthed it and decided why not share it here with all of you. So, um, we are going to finish the story today. And Jenny, I don't know if you remember where we left off, but, um, the girls in the story, probably also about age 11, I would assume are, um, gathering outside of the home of the narrator where there is a haunting. They are um, planned out on the right day, the right time to see if they can investigate and figure out what is going on in this haunted house. Are you ready? Oh my God. I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Keisha and Tanya arrived at my house at around six and Heather arrived at seven thirty because she had dance. Marissa and Leah arrived at my house at nine and at 10 30, they were outside and they set up the tent by 11. We were all ready. We had a flashlight for every person, a camera, a tape recorder, and even a pocket knife for security. At 11.30 p.m., we brought all of our equipment (laughs) upstairs and sat down to wait. Do you really think anything is going to happen? Keisha asked to no one in particular. I guess we won't find out until midnight. But to tell you the truth, I strongly doubt it, I replied. Well, I am 99.9% sure that we're going to hear something, if not see anything, Tanya said. Do you really think so? Asked Heather, who was obviously not convinced. Absolutely, confirmed Tanya. I looked at the clock. Oh, my God, you guys, it's 11.58 p.m. We better start getting ready, I said, my voice shaking uncontrollably. Yeah, 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 we better, Keisha replied. (laughs) We we put our things in our backpacks. Keisha with the camera, Tanya with the tape recorder, Heather with all of our flashlights, and I with the pocket knife that was borrowed from my brother, of course.
0: (laughs) This is taking on a really strong Twas the Night Before Christmas vibe all of a sudden. (laughs)
1: I was also carrying a mini digital clock so we could keep track of the time. Guys, it was already 11:58, but with those two minutes <laughs> she's got him on her digital clock. Okay, as the stairs creaked under our feet, I heard the twelve bongs start coming from our old grandfather clock.
0: Bong! This is it! Bong!
1: G-Wah! Bong! <laughs> <laughs> oh my g- g- god! We all screamed at once. D- do you think that was just Leah and Marissa fooling us? Tanya asked. But we knew it wasn't Leah or Marissa, or for that matter, anyone that was living now. After that scream, no others were heard, and we started to go downstairs. But just as we turned around, kill, kill, kill the men who took oh my, my God. life away. Merrily, 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 take their lives today, an innocent little girl's voice sang as she sang the merrily, 16 dead bodies fell down the stairs, knocking Tanya, Keisha and Heather down with them to complete the new 19 bodies lying dead on the floor. Only one was spared. And you know who I am, for I am writing this story. I was spared for I held onto the railing, but I still carry the harsh memories of that horrible summer night. Oh. And that face that was peeking out from behind the bushes, why, that was my father's face. He too had heard the screams and had come to see what was going on. One of the bodies knocked him to the floor and left a tremendous gash across his face. I hope you enjoyed my story, and just remember me, Maria Smith, for that small girl is still after the 20th body, which of course is me. Ah, you ask, why is she killing people of whom she does not know? The answer is, of course, that the world. We'll never know. The end. (laughs) What?
0: Wait, so your three friends, I'm sorry, the narrator's three friends. Yes were killed under the weight of 16
1: falling dead bodies that's right that's right there's a lot of math in this horror story um and so 20 the the rule was 20 dead bodies 16 dead bodies fell from the ceiling or whatever they killed three of her friends making 19 but maria smith our narrator was spared here to tell the tale Uh... And that is the end of The Death of Old Man Stever. Thank you so much for joining with me. And um, Jenny, I'm going to stitch together all of the components uh, into (laughs) one. Please do. So you can find the whole thing in case you missed it or you just want to hear it again before you go to sleep at night over on Mm -hmm. our Patreon. It's available for everybody. You're welcome. My fucking God. (laughs)
2: Okay, um,
1: Jenny, are you ready to get into this M effing mailbag?
0: I've never been more ready. Let's fucking do this shit and see if we can, you know, do it without incurring the wrath of any yeah. restless spirits that might try to kill us under the weight of dead bodies. <laughs> in a mailbag episode it can't be denied no one can say that we're not making a mailbag episode right freaking now
1: i mean they could say it jenny but they would be lying because i'm sitting here i have a bag of mail in my hand metaphorically. (laughs) And um, I'm very excited. This is, you know, we do uh, most of our mailbag episodes over on our Patreon. And um, occasionally we do a special one over here in the main feed. So it's not a common experience. And so I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. I am also excited. And I have to say, if you don't know this about yourselves already, you are really fucking good at writing emails, like maybe the best community ever at writing emails. They are I mean, it's just a, a glory to behold. Um, and so we've selected some, uh, or I should say I've selected some. Uh, if You might not know this because um, you're not, if you're not a patron supporter, but I am the one that reads the emails. Me, Kristen, Nolene, Russo. Um,
0: well, because you're so brave and you're so good at reading.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so I put the emails in um, a document for us to read. And so I'm reading them. I've read them all. I'm, I've curated them, et cetera. But what's really fun is that all, uh, all of these emails Jenny is reading for the first time, uh, which yes. is which is exciting and uh, adds an element of uh, surprise and excitement, intrigue. Hmm. <gasps> so Jenny, um, I've given you the first email because I know that you love talking about uh, fish reproduction. Fish
0: reproduction, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah so um, let's see. What can we learn today? Molly writes... So I was catching up and heard you guys talking about fish reproduction during Go Fish back in season two. Aww. let me just say that fish reproduction is so wild. I'm studying to be a marine scientist. My that was actually my one of my early career ambitions. I think it was uh, every
1: <laughs> child's early career ambition, just to be fair. Mm how dare you
0: uh no i'm special nobody else wanted to be a marine biologist an astronaut Mm. or an archaeologist (laughs) or a veterinarian okay so molly continues so i get to like look at this nonsense on a regular basis in general the ocean has some pretty crazy stuff everything from mates for life to females eating males to male pregnancy to lifetime hermaphrodites but fish reproduction is insane here are the basics. In general, there are three methods of reproduction ovaporous, that's egg laying, vivaporous, live birth like us, mostly sharks do this, and good luck, Jenny. This rocks. This is no, 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 no. You know how to say Ovo-vivor- it. <laughs> it's, uh, I believe it's ovoviviv. Oh no, I felt so confident, <laughs> but then you uh, yanked the rug right out from under me. I'm so sorry. Ovovivaporous. O- o- Ovovivaporous. Nice. <laughs> reproduction. It's like a combo. The. Gals will raise eggs within their body until hatching and give birth.
1: Mm-hmm. Can
0: I just interject please. With one thing? please? Um, there is, oh boy, I am going to say a book by Peter Benchley uh, who wrote Jaws, I think. Okay. Um, is this right? He definitely wrote The Beast, which is like a book about like a giant squid or an evil octopus or something yeah and he also wrote jaws he wrote like like horror um ocean horror horror novels about yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and okay okay i'm looking at his wikipedia i think it was white shark that i read which starts inside the womb <laughs> or like ovo chamber of a shark who does the ovo vapor ovo deal and it like starts with this shark that's like it has, like, been in an egg in the womb, and then it hatches, and then it eats all its other
1: oh, litter mates.
0: Uh, and Jenny, that's how you know it's going to fucking
1: shred. Um, and Not to spoil the email, but that will come up specifically later on. In oh, my video. God. So amazing. You're doing great. You're doing great. Also, okay. I cannot believe that you called something an ovo chamber. Is that a real word? Or did you make it? Up? I don't know. It is now. I love okay. it. <laughs> I'm going to refer to my uterus from now on as an ovo chamber. Nice. <laughs>
0: It's also I'm like so self conscious that it should be avo. I am unclear. Okay. Um, okay, Molly continues in spite of my ongoing interruptions. <laughs> Some of my favorite fish fucking fun facts.
1: Fish fucking fun facts. What a great alliteration! Alliteration. Okay.
0: So, twenty one of the around five hundred known fish families are hermaphrodites. Rasses. The fish you are most likely to see if you ever snorkel or scuba on the Great Barrier Reef are famous for this. They'll start out female and later become male. Hamlet fish, one of my favorites, are simultaneous hermaphrodites. They possess both male and female reproductive parts at the same time. Rabbit fish exhibit a lifetime pairing behavior once thought to be a reproductive strategy, but it turns out 25% of the pairs were same sex. The ocean is even gayer
1: than we are. (laughs) True. In i mean i don't know i'd like to challenge the ocean personally but
0: <laughs> in anglerfish. the male angler is essentially a glorified pair of testicles and will locate a female bite and latch onto her then become a sperm producing parasite men am i right uh <laughs> essentially a ball sack hanging on her body fucking wild sand tiger sharks reproduce Ovovivaporously. There you go. But before they give birth to their babies, the babies will actually eat their own siblings in the womb before being born. There you go. (gasps) Peter Benchley time traveled from 1994, (laughs) read this email, went back and was like, get a load of this, you fucks. Okay. But my most favorite form of reproduction, (laughs) nice, is a method called partha oh parthenogenesis yes we actually talked about this spooky
1: news segment parthenogenesis right
0: right 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 yeah this behavior is exhibited within hammerhead sharks oh my god what happens is that the female only you would like
1: giggle like a teenage boy at hammerhead sharks when you just said ball sack two seconds ago
0: (laughs) (laughs) with no reaction Mm. um cool (laughs) Uh, What happens is the female produces non-fertilized eggs that are clones of herself, which hatch into babies. The population is entirely female. In times of stress, the female sharks will produce haploid eggs containing half the genes that then hatch into males, which then sexually reproduce (laughs) with the females to mix up the gene pool. Then they die, and the females go back to cloning. Males literally exist to shake up the genes, and that is it. My favorite part about this is that the females will actually sometimes sexually stimulate each other when they produce eggs. Hammerhead sharks are lesbians. So basically, anytime anyone says being trans, queer, gay is unnatural, I tell them to go take a look in the ocean because nature is anything but, and it's fucking, literally, fantastic. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to be just telling everyone to go take a look in the ocean every time they challenge me on anything.
1: In the ocean. the fish rainbow <laughs> oh god okay, okay 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 <laughs>
0: oh my god <laughs> um my takeaway here though or like my follow up question is it was i was under the impression we were still sort of like duking it out over whether sharks are at, considered fish or not mm, because ooh. they're and it's now got the whole like cartilaginous thing going on and whatnot.
1: If if you had doubted up until this point in the mailbag if Jenny was a true certified nerd, you now know. How dare you? Well How dare no, you. And I mean in the what nerd is a term of mm, doesn't positive. sound like you mean it in the best way. <laughs> I, I genuinely did. I just think it's phenomenal that you read this entire email and that your first takeaway was: excuse me, Molly, but is a shark a fish? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I um love this email. Thank you so much, Molly. First, this is my favorite email. Yeah, I thought of you'd like the it. day so far.
1: I thought I'd start us in a, a very gay uh, amphibious place. Seemed appropriate. Um, do you think that so the the email was inspired by Go Fish, which of course is where mm-hmm. the. Um, fish, I guess, debatable on if they're fish too, but, um, are swimming, you know, and eating people in the high school. Do you think that they have, a, do you think that they are like one of these kinds of reproductive fish? Or do you think that they're lesbians is what I mean to say. Do you think that when the men turn into fish, they turn into lesbians?
0: Oh, I mean, if they're lucky. <laughs>
1: Okay. On to the next email. Uh, This one is coming in from Abby. A little information for us all. Also from uh, so, so long ago. But I love this because people are, you know, live listening with us, but a lot of people are finding us for the first time. So Abby wrote in, "Um, hi, I just started listening to your podcast. I'm playing catch up. So I'm way back in season one, but I have an answer for a question you asked in the puppet show. Willow and Giles go to do research in the library and Willow says, I'll be in demons. Of course you will, Willow. And Giles says, I'll be in organ harvesting. Of course you will, Giles. And you asked what the Dewey decimal number would even be for those Hell topics. Oh, yes. I love this email. As a librarian, I actually know this one. So yes, 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 yes. <laughs> demons is a little easier. It falls under religion in the 200s, specifically 235.47. 235.47. Find all your demon needs. Uh, Library of Congress is BF 1501 uh, 1562. Organ harvesting is harder because there's not really a lot of books on that. There are, however, a number of books on organ transplants. So, Medical Ethics of Organ Transplants, which include the black market slash selling organs, is 174 point something something. Library of Congress for Medical Ethics is R726. I just thought it was cool that I knew the answer, so I thought I would share. Thank you. Hell yeah. So much, Abby. Love that we now have the Dewey Decimal System for these two sections of very important books.
0: (laughs) Hell yes. Uh, That rocks. Okay, what's next, you ask? I'll tell you. An email from Ashley, who says, I saw this post on Twitter and want to hear your extended thoughts on this topic, if you so choose to share them. Mm -hmm. It is a screenshot. Of a uh, Huyden-esque tweet uh, that says, just wondering what would happen if Faith met Harley Quinn. Mm. Uh, And then the the top replies are, tequila, (laughs) and then someone else said, and then sex, which seems... Right. Okay. Um, Then uh, Ashley continues, I completely agree with the first set of comments shown in the screenshot, but also I think they would 200% pair together and leave a trail of chaos and destruction behind without ever looking back. I can almost visualize the maniacal smiles they would give each other. I had never paired them on my own before, but Harley is a cute little blonde badass for Faith. And she, uh, and she a dark and mysterious counterpart for Harley. My mind raced with queer excitement at the thought. And please, someone write this fanfic. Okay.
1: So I'm pretty to sure just... this
0: fanfic must already exist, right? Well, yeah.
1: I don't know. But I, so I want to just say for the record that I leave this to you, Jenny, because I am not yet familiar with Harley Quinn, though I will be very soon.
0: Okay. So my, most of my Harley Quinn um, familiarity actually comes from Batman, the animated series. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, But I have seen trailers for Birds of Prey and I feel like I get it. Uh, <laughs> I think um, based on what I know and based on what I've seen and based on what I think, I feel like this is a a, a pairing that would be, like, really, really fun, but it would, like, and it would burn like really, burn really burn hot out. yeah. briefly. And then, yes, like a meteor uh, flying through space. Mm-hmm. It would uh, just get so hot that it would you know, combust and destroy itself and, yeah. and everything within.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll give a more updated report once I watch um, Birds of Prey, but, but based on what I know of the character of Harley Quinn and what I absolutely know of Faith, I agree with that assessment. I mean, I think the reason why Buffy and Faith are such a good pairing is that they offset each other in ways, right? Like, they're not just going to yeah. do shots of tequila and have sex, right? They're going to sort of, like, balance each other out and Buffy's going to be, like, wearing her church outfit to the motel sometimes. So... they're not going to, they're not going to burn out quite as fast. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Buffy does stab Faith in the stomach and send her into a coma. So it got complicated, but if it hadn't, um, I think they would have lasted a lot longer. (laughs) Okay. So the next email is from Corey who says, hi, Jenny and Kristen. First of all, I love your podcast. Thank you, Corey. Uh, I've been listening since it started and I'm a proud patron. Thank you again, Corey. Uh, Corey has two requests. One, Please write a Xander jingle. He's been a central character since season one, episode one, and many characters added much later, like Spike, Anya, Drusilla, while all highly deserving, have their own jingle. But our beloved Xander does not. So I'm going to stop before I get to the second bit and say, Jenny, we I, I talked to you about this, and I think that you're I think that you're on board to write a Xander jingle. Yeah. Um, I'm writing it
0: on my to-do list right now.
1: And it was, you know, it was very intentional that we didn't write a Xander jingle in the beginning because, you see, if we had, it would have been a real bummer. Um, But I think that Xander has shown us some serious growth. We are into season five, and now Xander will get a jingle that I think will be more representative of the full Xander, Um, whereas other characters didn't have as much to lose in the beginning getting an early jingle. I think Xander did.
0: Yeah, I think... um,
1: I think it's time and I feel up to the challenge. Amazing. Okay, uh, Corey continues. Secondly, while I really enjoy the Sexual Tension Awards and your sexy readings and do practically every scene, I've noticed noticed a bit of a pattern concerning interactions between men, which is that sometimes the impact of the said interaction gets lost in the shipping of the two characters in question. It kind of happened in Into the Woods with Riley and Spike, and it happened in the previous episode with Xander and Riley. Sometimes I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer really produces great moments between men. And while I always welcome shipping the dudes, ship, ship away. I just want to make a plea that the nature of the interaction portrayed on screen, the real nature, not the subtext, gets its due. Thank you for all you do. I love you both and I love your work. Uh, I love this email, Corey. And I I wrote Corey back actually also just because I was like, this is such a good point. And like, you know, I I do, of course, I think, you know, Jenny and I will never stop shipping most of the dudes on the show together. But (laughs) um, but I do think that like when we do that, we can also just take a pause uh, and talk about some of the really important um, male relationships on the show, which are done really powerfully and beautifully. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Corey. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, here's an uh, email from Emily from Canberra, Australia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Um, Emily writes, maybe Willow doesn't want to bring Amy back because that would mean she would have to tell her that the Scoobies killed her mom when they blew up Sunnydale High in Graduation Part 2. She was trapped in the trophy in the cabinet. What if the fire, what if the explosion... Wait, I'll save my... Theory for the end. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on this theory. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What if um, the explosion actually released released her spirit because she was all like trapped in that trophy, but like with all that heat, you know, the the binding gold... Is that trophy made of gold? No. The binding whatever. (laughs) binding properties
1: of plastic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Melt away, thus releasing the uh, Mm -hmm. evil witch contained within.
1: I actually would, I would think that that is more the case um, than not. And so, based on this theory, I I would say no, I, I don't agree with the theory from Emily that uh, Willow is intentionally not bringing Amy back because they don't want to tell her about her mom. Um, I though have a new theory, which is not bunnies. It is that the, the witch is released, as you say, Jenny, um, in sort of like, uh, misty form, you know, um, mist of a witch as you, if you will. And that every time that Willow tries to bring Amy back, which she says she keeps doing, that the witch energy is preventing her from doing it because Amy's mom was such a jerk. She didn't, she didn't want Amy to succeed in anything. Mm. So what if it's the energy of Amy's mom that's been keeping her contained in that rat casing for so long?
0: Oh my God. That's <laughs> rat casing.
1: <laughs> Listen, I just uh, I just watched uh Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade last night, and there's like a oh, serious. Rats rat scene in the beginning of that movie. So they're really like very visually present for me. Okay. Okay. The next email is from Elizabeth who writes in and says, hi, Kristen and Jenny. I wanted to preface this email by saying I'm a huge fan and a longtime listener, and I absolutely love your podcast. I hope the tone of the rest of the email doesn't make you doubt that. I just have very intense feelings and thoughts about the end of Buffy and Riley's relationship just when you thought you were done, Jenny. <laughs> While God. you... God. It, it will come back to us forever, just like Xander. While you both, <laughs> as always, gave excellent commentary on the episode Into the Woods, I think you missed an important piece. And I want to... This is now Kristen. I I picked this email because I um, will say in advance that I agree with Elizabeth. And I, I, that's why I'm including this email, because I do think this is an important piece. You both mentioned in this and other episodes that you think Buffy and Riley are incompatible and that neither could give the other what they needed in a relationship. I don't disagree with you, but I think Buffy was never even given the chance to try. Riley never communicated his needs or their unfulfilled state to Buffy, at least not in clear, direct terms. He hinted at them a few times in pretty passive-aggressive ways. Buffy clearly had a heap of very stressful things on her mind, her mother's health, taking care of both her mother and her sister, attending college on top of those things, never mind being the slayer. This isn't an excuse to neglect your partner, obviously, but even someone who didn't have all those pressing concerns can't know something is wrong unless their partner tells them. In almost every scene where they're together, Riley acts as if nothing's wrong in front of Buffy. It's only out of her company that we see him suffering. So how is Buffy supposed to know that his needs aren't being met in the relationship? This falls into a trope I have particular beef with in media, the portrayal that people in relationships don't need to talk, and if you are truly, quote, meant for each other, you should be able to telepathically, I guess, know what the other person needs. Riley could have at any point sat down with Buffy and told her what his needs were in the relationship and that he wasn't feeling fulfilled. Of course, that would have been hard, both because of the vulnerability required and because it's hard to make Buffy sit still long enough to listen. It might not have fixed anything. Buffy might not have been able to meet those needs even then, but at least she would have known there was something to work on in the relationship. As it stands, Riley dumped weeks or months of pent up feelings on her in a 10 minute conversation and gave her an ultimatum. While he did make some good introspective points in that conversation, as y'all noted, this is the first time he'd ever mentioned the vast majority of it to Buffy. She doesn't even have time to process any of it because Xander immediately jumps down her throat for not instinctively knowing something was wrong with her relationship with Riley. This is honestly the main reason why I dislike Riley. He put the burden of his needs on Buffy without ever clearly communicating them and then abandoned her when she couldn't meet his ultimatum deadline. Throughout this entire season of their relationship, Buffy is punished for not being a mind reader and knowing what's wrong with Riley via some instinctive do. <laughs> <laughs> Riley also suffers from not having his needs met, but instead of trying to communicate, he lashes out and seeks unhealthy coping mechanisms. Maybe they wouldn't have worked out in the long run anyway, but Buffy was never really given a fair chance to try. So um, I've... Aha! Yeah, so what do you think about this, Jenny? I mean, I've, I've obviously um said at the top that I, like, really agree with some of this, and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but you're hearing this for the first time, and so I'm curious uh, as to your thoughts.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is totally there's a lot in here that um, rings very true for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like the whole, the like true tragedy, I think, about the ending of their relationship is that Riley doesn't directly communicate what is lacking until a sort of like breaking point. Mm -hmm. And then Buffy kind of like, I mean, the the true tragedy is that Buffy, like, takes a minute to metabolize it. But, like, ultimately, you know, her decision in the moment is that, like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. I can't lose this. This is not something I can't I can lose without a fight,
1: at least. Right, and, like, right.
0: unfortunately, just doesn't
1: make get it in there time. in time. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which is as as you're saying, as the writer of this email is saying, like which is it's just not a lot of time. I mean, the fact that she even made yeah. it there as quickly as she did is um, pretty well, remarkable. She's very fast. <laughs> she is. She is very fast. She does run very quickly. But um, yeah, and I think like you know this show, I I mean I don't regret any of our conversations, um, or like delving into the characters the way that we have. But what is so unbelievable about this show and any show that is You know, has incredibly deep and nuanced characters and really wonderful writing. Is that there's so many things that you can uncover as you dig and dig and dig. And I do feel like you know we had such um, a battle, uh, you know, for and against Riley. Uh, Most of it couched in like humor. Some of it really digging into the these deeper things. But it it was so we were really going back and forth the whole time that these two were together. That um, you know I do think that we kind of missed digging into this aspect, which is. Um, the fact that, and, and I think this happens in the majority of relationships, if we're being honest, um, that it is a common human trait to try to squash the thing that is bothering you and deal with it on your own or whatever, until it just bubbles up and explodes. Uh, and I do think that we see that with Riley, um, and I, and I agree with you, um, I agree with this email, is so thoroughly that, um, what we would have seen if Buffy made it to the helicopter, I think would have been, uh, Buffy trying to do these things and like you said you know the great a great chance that she absolutely would not have been able to meet those things right we talked about all of the reasons why we think that pro- probably Buffy couldn't give Riley what he needed but mm-hmm. um, but we'll never know we'll never know and, and that's also the tragedy of like um, I think explaining away like oh Riley's gone because the relationship was boring it's like that is a really deep oversimplification of things because it did not need to be boring there's a lot of, of exploration that could have been done there
0: yeah he could have taken that other boot off like real <laughs> slow. exactly
1: we only ever got to see one boot okay
0: uh wait a minute is she barefoot inside those boots i'm just remembering <laughs> I, think, she I
1: think she's wearing socks i think when we talked about it because i feel like i have a memory of like considering the sock uh the also the <laughs> also the the a name of my forthcoming memoir considering the sock <laughs> But, um, but I think we might have talked about the fact that, like, he's so smooth that when he took off the boot, he, like, also invisibly came off with it, right? Like, he, he, like, caught the sock on its way down, you know, like, Yeah, just, God. I mean, as we know, Riley is a super smooth dude. Also, speaking of Riley, just in case you don't follow us on social media, here's a great reason why you should. Uh, Mark Blucas shared an image probably like two, three weeks ago at this point of the fact that he on his farm uh, during self isolation decided to adopt baby goats and posted like a picture of him holding a baby goat. It was really all too much to These possibly- images will get you pregnant. <laughs> Be warned if you choose
0: to look upon them. Yeah. So, anyway, um
1: Elizabeth, well, thank you. He, yeah.
0: Yeah. All hail Elizabeth. I particularly like this this uh point that um Elizabeth makes about uh, the trope in mm-hmm. media of portrayal of people in relationships like not needing to talk and if you're truly meant for each other you should be able to telepathically know what the other person needs i think that's like so smart and like we see way 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 too much of that oh my God. And i wonder i wonder what our conversations about uh the relationship of buffy and riley would have been like mm. if there wasn't a 20-year discourse uh preceding this podcast about how much everyone hates. Riley. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's really solid. Uh, another thing we didn't think about when we were talking through it the first time, but, um, yeah. And I like, I mean, I think, and uh, Jenny, it sounds like you probably agree with me, but I think like the downfall of so many relationships hinges on this ridiculous idea of meant to be right. That like, like if, if, what we saw more so in media, and I do think that we see it somewhat now, um, a little, or at least a little bit more than we used to. But I think if mm-hmm. what we saw in media was was like Buffy catching up to Riley and saying, "Like I hear what you're saying, I want to work on this," and then like then it not working out later, and like you know, uh, not as much of these like fantastical. I mean, listen, we all we all want a fantastical love story. Like I'm not saying to take those away, I, but I'm just saying that I think a lot of the world takes that at face value and as the only possibility. Uh, And so therefore does not realize until they're in the thick of things how much work it is to be in a relationship an ongoing relationship so um, yes
0: yes yes listen relationships are work and yada 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 but i have to stop you because <laughs> i accidentally just caught sight of a sentence <laughs> fragment from the next email the wow. sentence fragment is when people have fragment. a piece of their skull removed yeah. comma yeah. so we have to go we <laughs> yeah, i need to go yes, need to please please take email. us take us to charlotte <laughs> okay It's from Charlotte and Charlotte says, I am not a neurosurgeon, but I am a doctor on a rehab floor that takes care of patients with brain injuries, both traumatic and non-traumatic, which also includes folks who have brain surgery for things like cancer. When people have a piece of their skull removed... Ideally, it's, it's wait. let me with the let me stop you.
1: Let me stop you. I just want to let everyone know in case you're you haven't listened re- religiously to every episode we've ever done. We asked about Joyce's surgery and like what happens when they remove a piece of somebody's skull. So that's why Charlotte's writing in. Go ahead. Continue. continue.
0: Okay. When people have a piece of their skull removed, ideally, it's replaced with the original bone. For folks who have what's called a Craniotomy, removal of a small piece of skull, which can be done to access an area of interest. An area of interest, (laughs) like for removal of a tumor. The same piece of bone is replaced during that surgery. What's interesting (laughs) is that sometimes people have to have a piece of their skull removed to relieve pressure in the brain. That's a craniectomy. Oh, my God. And in this case, the piece of bone is left off for a period of time. Things like trauma or bleeding in the brain can cause a lot of swelling. And swelling in the brain is really bad biscuits. Oh my God, I love this email. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much swelling in a closed skull for the brain to start to get, for lack of a better word, real squished. So the surgeons will go in and remove a generally fairly large piece of bone and will leave it off, often for weeks or months, <laughs> to allow for any <laughs> swelling to resolve. <laughs> Ideally, the surgeons will eventually go back in and replace the original autologist. From the shelf. Bone From flaps. the self.
1: Pro- Autologist oh, from, from the self.
0: self. Yeah. <laughs> not the shelf. Not the, not the
1: <laughs> not bone from bone the, the shelf. Right. shelf. <laughs> uh,
0: bone flap, in a procedure called a cranioplasty. Wow. I love this. Uh, mm-hmm. There are alternatives, metals, ceramics, or synthetic material, but autolog- autologous bone, autologous bone, autologous bone, <laughs> flaps, Sorry, are the ideal and have the best outcomes. You'd opt for a different option if the bone flap itself is contaminated, infected, or got destroyed in trauma, etc. While waiting to get put back into place, the bone flaps hang out in a fridge somewhere. (laughs) Again, often for weeks or months, while folks are missing that piece of bone, they can do much of their usual activity. But we custom fit them with helmets to protect their brain, which during this time is pretty much just covered with skin. Okay, I have to, I have something for this. First of all, this email fucking rocks. This is an this is a hell of a mailbag you've curated, Kristen. Thank you so much.
1: Rocks.
0: (laughs) Okay, so uh, synchronistically, Mm -hmm. I was just having a conversation with my mom where I was like making her walk me through my grandfather's history uh, of. Well, I thought we were just going to talk about the history of my grandfather working in coal mine Mm -hmm. uh, coal mining operations. But we ended up talking about his time in the war and, you know, uh, his transition from working in a subterranean coal mine operation to going into World War II and then coming home uh, injured and starting to work at a strip mine operation. And then, like, freaking – he was working double shifts at a strip mining operation and then he would, in his spare time, when he wasn't working double shifts – he would uh, chip away at building his house, the house that my mom grew up in wow. from scratch. My grandmother designed it oh and my drew God. the blueprints. What? They met because she was working in a parachute factory as a parachute <sighs> inspector. What? And she worked with my grandfather's sister. And like when he came home from the war injured... Uh, her his sister was like, oh, you have to meet my brother. You're going to love him. And then they got together. And then they moved into this house that he built from scratch that she designed. Oh, my God. And then they, like, uh, bought the adjacent 32 a- acres mm-hmm. from my grandmother's father for $1 and <laughs> began cultivating uh, orchards, uh, apples, mm-hmm. peaches, cherries, pears. And then they, like, ran a family orchard for the rest of their lives okay that's not the point the point is that while my grandfather was in world war ii uh he was an army ranger and sharpshooter and he ended up coming home because he took a a piece of shrapnel to the back of the head and he was in in, in a coma or unconscious Mm -hmm. either for two weeks or two months my mom was a little unclear on Mm -hmm. the (laughs) important details and um and he had this hole in his skull, mm-hmm. right? So he was in a mash hospital, and during surgery that was intended to remove the shrapnel from his head, a surgical needle broke off inside <gasps> of his head. Oh, and God. the doctor trigger was so freaked warning. out. Yeah. But <laughs> he was like, hey, I'm not gonna fuck around in here anymore. You're just gonna live the rest of your life with shrapnel and a needle fragment. Floating around inside your skull. Wow. And I don't think they ever patched that the skull situation. I think he just like had a hole.
1: He was just real careful with his shrapnel. Uh... Now,
0: is this all accurate? I don't know. It came from my mom <laughs> and it's probably like 80 to 95% accurate. Wow. The, the two weeks or two months thing raises a lot of question marks for me personally, but. Well, she was probably so little. How does she know? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Uh, that's crazy. I'm not blaming my mom. I'm like (laughs) amazed at the amount of information she has retained. Right. And uh, I just come from a long. Short line of people with uh, holes in their skulls. So. Wow,
1: wow, wow! Needle breaking off in brain, not a thing I wanted to be a part of my day. But the rest of the story, I Sorry. was really into. But it is fine. Um, do you know along. that it- rich life? <laughs> do you know that my grandfather also built the house um, that my mom grew up in? Uh, I did know that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There are a lot of grandfathers mm-hmm. building houses. I do not think. Yeah, that my- people
0: used to do some real
1: shit. <laughs> (laughs) I don't think that my grandmother designed it though. I don't know who designed it actually. Now I'm going to have to find out. Okay. Um, wow. Well, I knew that you would enjoy the bone flap email, Jenny. And and just for the record, we got a lot of bone flap emails. And uh, nice. n- another Love one, that I don't know if you remember, Jenny, but I forwarded you another one because somebody wrote into us who had had brain surgery with including pictures of their, um, sort of like that they had only shaved one inch. Um, so that actually might be true that they didn't, you know, shave more of Joyce's head when they did the surgery. Uh, and also let us know that the thing that they used to, to put the bone back into place, uh, in their surgery is the same thing that we call nail glue. (laughs) So yeah, I don't remember the name of the chemical, but anyway, thank you to all of you who wrote in to us about your own brain surgeries or brain surgeries that you've performed. Um, the amount of experts that we have is, is far and wide. And later on, uh, we're going to get to an email from somebody who is an expert on something that makes me laugh forever. So we'll get there soon, but first an email from Magnus. Uh, Magnus, again, digging back deep into the history of Buffering the Vampire Slayer writing about Season 1, Episode 10, Nightmares. Magnus says, I just wanted to say that the writers missed a huge opportunity when writing Cordelia's nightmares. I don't buy that Cordelia is afraid to join the chess club. The nightmare should have been that Cordelia opens up to some friends and tells them about people who hurt her and or about the anxiety and fear of not being accepted as she is or something like that, which then causes all of her friends to start laughing at her and then they just leave her so she's left all alone. That would display and establish the depth the Cordelia character radiates and deserves. Q. The Cordelia Jingle.
0: Cordelia. I love you, Cordelia. You're perfect, Cordelia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What a great, what a great point. I think... The only thing standing in the way of this being the reality of the episode is that it maybe feels just a little too early for us to be like really right, but digging in. Although, don't
1: you think though? Okay, so I have the benefit of having read this email um, earlier, and so I've, I've thought about it a little bit. But I, I just was thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, joining the being afraid to join the chess club is essentially the same thing as. Her opening up to her friends and, like, them l- leaving her when she sh- shows her true self. I mean, it's it's not exactly the same thing, but it's like she's afraid to join the chess club because she's afraid that people will think she's less than the very perfect cool girl that she's showing that she is. And in, in Cordelia's mind, that means, you know, the chess club, right? It, it's not apples right, to apples, right, but I right. do think it's the same set of insecurities. You're only afraid to join the chess club to the point where it is your biggest nightmare if you have serious fear about people finding out that there's more to you than just the surface that you're presenting
0: yeah right yeah do you think that cordelia is good at jess you know kind of actually you think it's a secret yeah right she's she
1: seems like strategy could be kind of her i mean it's like that's her total that yes right cordelia is all about strategy She's, and Cordelia is like that, the like, you know, classic character of like, you think she, she's like the L, L Woods, if you will, you know, or at least develops into that character who is underestimated because of the way she looks, but actually is really brilliant, super capable, um, et cetera. So wait, uh, who's L Woods? It was L Woods. The name, isn't that the name of Reese Witherspoon's character in Legally Blonde? I've never seen <gasps> Legally Blonde. Oh my so God. So I don't know. I just gasped so deeply that my body, like, caved in in the middle. What in the hell are you doing? Maybe we'll do um, a special episode of Feels Like the First Time, Jenny, with you so you can watch Legally Blonde. <laughs> 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 okay, oh, great. Got it. Okay. Anyway, moving along to... Oh, here's the... Oh, great. We're at the email that I was uh, just referencing where we have a very special expert on our hands. Uh, Jenny, you get this one. Okay. I'm excited. Here
0: we go. It's from Ashley who says, Hello, Kristen and Jenny. I've been listening to Buffering for a long time and I love that you can count on your listeners who are doctors or scientists to help out with pretty much any question you have about supernatural physiology. (laughs) It's true. It is. It is. I am not a doctor or a scientist. However, I am a visual merchandiser, which pretty much makes me a mannequin doctor. And after listening to Triangle, I just wanted to confirm for you that, yes, many (laughs) mannequins do, in fact, have nipples thank god you're here ashley some of the mannequins i work with have such ridiculous nipples that we had to sand them down because of customer complaints oh my god one time i accidentally dropped one of them off a riser and when i picked her up i realized her pointy nipples had busted holes right through her silk shirt it's a real thing which is great for a spike whew Thank goodness I could confirm this scientific <laughs> fact for you. My imaginary doctorate in mannequin anatomy has finally been put to
1: good use. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Ashley, like truly just the the, the breadth of expertise that our listenership has is unparalleled, incredible. unparalleled. Truly incredible. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is going, um, we're pivoting to a, a question about us. Um, we don't do those often. And uh, Lauren from Australia wrote in, um, I have a question. Buffering is so well structured from the start. Thank oh. you, Lauren. Uh, Heavens. How much, if any, experience did you have recording podcasts before buffering, and did you already have microphones and the equipment that you would have needed to start? Uh, so, I mean, it's been a minute, but we definitely had all the equipment we needed uh, because Jenny, as you may know, is a musician, um, and I think, well, Je- Jenny, you 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 do some answering, and then I'll tell you what I think about sure, our sure, structure. sure, sure, sure.
0: Um, we had not recorded or like I hadn't done any podcast recording really to speak of um but I did have I think one sm7b for for music stuff that's a a type of microphone that sure makes that we use um and the reason that that uh I like uh this microphone for podcast recording is it has a very close range of pickup mm-hmm. so you're not going to get a, a ton of reflection from the room, um, and extraneous noises. It really cuts down a lot of the, the excess noise, uh, which is great for a little talky podcast. So we had one of those kicking around and I already had an interface and I already was using pro tools for music stuff. That's a, 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 uh, audio program or a recording program, uh, that is digital, uh, digital audio workstation, I guess is what DAW stands for. Pro tools is a DAW just like logic is a DAW. Um, And we just got another SM7, and uh, that's kind of like it on the gear end. And then I had the great and terrible idea that there should be a song (laughs) for every episode and that it should go at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we workshopped. Before we started taping like we came up with segments I remember there was like a www what is willow wearing oh yeah a segment that did not take off mm-hmm. but, but instead we have Buffy fashion watch which is right uh sort of like a uh greatly evolved version of www <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and yeah, and then I, I think a lot of the segments that we do have just kind of naturally evolved from like making the podcast.
1: Yeah, Sorry, Kristen, which I think is it. no, I mean and I think that's like part of the the power is I, I find that when you try to think of things in advance and then like make them work uh, they're often weaker than when you just sort of like go with it and find oh that's actually really funny or you know you have Kate Leth guest on an episode and Kate's like can I do a segment for you and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah you can forever um, but I, I also think that you know Jenny um, had roots in um, music and I had um, some of my roots although like LGBTQ oriented were in video and editing. Uh, and I I also think that both of us are perfectionists at heart which works really well um, I think when you're like when there's two perfectionists working together it's, it's I think better than only one perfectionist because we both understand um, we recorded the whole um, first episode of the podcast and got to the end and decided to do it all over again because we didn't think it was good enough and you know, I don't think a lot of people would do that. Uh, and that's just like part of who we are and have always been. And I also think that like having both edited a variety of media, you know, Jenny, you, you work on producing music. Mia, I had worked on editing video. Um, we're also, we came into it with the mind of like, we wanted it to be polished and we wanted it to move forward. And I also think that like I have the shortest attention span ever. So um, I, from the start was like, no, no yammering about like I... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I just really wanted to keep us on a course where somebody like myself could listen and also be engaged because I struggle with some of the podcasts out there that like are chatty. I know people love them, but, you know, so I don't know. I think that all came together in a really great way. And, you know, we would definitely not be here if it were not for the community that listens to us and tells us, you know, what they want, what they need and, you know, shows us when they love something and shows us when they don't. And we listen to that Mm -hmm. too.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Okay, next up, we've got an email from Corey who says, Hey, mom and dad. Nice. Uh, so, I work in the back office for a bank opening accounts for people who have way more money than I'll ever see. Today, I received an account to open, and this guy's birthday was, I shit you not, 42069. Oh my God. I just needed to share this information with someone, and I knew Jenny would get a huge kick out of it. Corey, you thought correctly. You, This is the greatest gift I could possibly receive uh, April, on this beautiful day. April 20th, 1969.
1: I mean, good what job. What a treasure. Great job, yeah. Uh, For 2069. <laughs>
2: See, Thank and this you. is in case hey. in
1: case any of you think that uh, Jenny should read the emails in advance. I I think oh, it has been proven h- fully that she should not because there's no better joy than like watching you read an email. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so Jenny. um I want to like, you know, as as aforementioned, keep us on the uh, path forward here. So originally, I thought I might have you watch this live, but I'm not going to have you watch it live, though I am going to have you watch it uh, later. I'm going to read this email (laughs) first so you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So Famke writes in, Hey, Kristen and Jenny, I've been listening to your podcast. Sorry. I'm already thinking about the video that I watched. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now and I absolutely love it. It brings me so much joy. I'm very excited to have almost caught up and I'm listening to season five, episode six family at the moment. Loved the pornography bit and thought you might enjoy <laughs> this video excerpt from the best worst movie ever troll Two. It's called, (laughs) for you to find it, I think all you need to do, uh, you listener at home, is um, Google (laughs) troll to corn slash popcorn. Uh, wow. Fam, Famke continues The the corn slash popcorn scene Is one of the weirdest Most hilarious scenes And I was reminded of it While listening to your episode If you haven't seen the movie I can highly recommend it It's got a big cult following And there's a great documentary About the movie making And the director Who to this day Will not admit How bad the movie is Okay <laughs> Wow well, thank you, um, Femke, for writing in to let us know about this clip. I that will, was some pornography. I will definitely be taking the full audio of your reaction and putting it over the video. Um, <laughs> 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 so great, Ooh, that was fun. Okay, let us move. Um, I took us from pornography um, to uh, an email about um, spike and threesomes. I figured it was a good trans transition out. So, uh, Jenny, why don't you take us there? <laughs>
0: Okay, Lauren, I'm getting all the Australian emails today. Lauren from (laughs) Coffs Harbor with a U in Australia says, Kristen and Jenny... Just a quick email to point out that I think Spike would indeed have a male-male-female threesome, although maybe he is not in the place with Harmony that he would. But in previous episodes, as we have seen the mouth-watering sexual tension between Angel and him, I refuse to believe that there was never a threesome with Angel, Spike, and Drusilla in Season 2 and or the times when they would travel around as a, quote, family with Angel, Spike, Darla, and Drusilla. This is 100% accurate. 100 This is
1: uncontestable absolutely okay so keeping along our spike path uh kennedy i'm actually uh, combining two emails here because I, i feel like they're kind of asking and saying similar things so kennedy wrote in and said um spike is a beloved character in the buffy verse definitely one of my favorites and i wanted to know if you think that after the hundred or so years he's alive Do you think he still considers himself Spike or William on the inside? Do you think Spike was a way to distance himself from who he was or a way for him to distance himself from his actions? In Crush, especially in the would-you-want-it-to-be moment, you see William come out. And it just had me thinking, do you think when he's around Buffy he's closer to being William or is it just the Spike facade he kept up while dating Drusilla? So, Jenny, chew on that for a second, um, and then I'm going to read to you um, an email from Paige, which we asked you to write in about the Quasimodo comparison. Um, and so Paige wrote in, There are two things I thought about while you discussed the parallel they were trying to portray between Spike and Quasimodo. You mentioned how Quasimodo is imprisoned in the tower and cannot leave to do whatever he wants to do in his life. I have two theories. First, I think Spike having the chip in his head is imprisonment. The chip keeps him from doing what a vampire was born to do, or I guess I should say sired to do. Or two, Spike being a vampire is his prison because this keeps him from Buffy being able to love him. I don't know if this is at all accurate, but this is what I thought about when I heard you both discuss this particular scene. So do you see how these two are related, right? It's like, is Spike is spike the monster and uh like is his true self the monster or is his true self william is he imprisoned because he's a vampire and so he can't access william or is he imprisoned you using pages words and the quasimodo parallel um is he imprisoned because he is a vampire and the chip is keeping him from being himself oh my god mm, deep right
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is deep. I mean, much has been made previously in our conversations about, you know, how the show treats how various characters on the show treat Angel versus Angelus and like when he has a soul and when he doesn't have a soul. And is that the same entity or is it two entities occupying the same body? And it just depends who's driving and then Mm. like the body is held responsible for the actions of both. Right. Um, Or should it be? Is that appropriate? Um, I don't know, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's kind of about how You're I feel. My man. Yeah, it's just like I mean that that's kind of the eternal question. That is what this show grapples with from all of the vantage points um, mm-hmm. you know even even with Buffy and Faith like that whole dynamic was like are you the darkness inside of you or are you more than the darkness inside of you you know like and, and those are characters yeah. those are you know Slayers are you know for all intents and purposes put here to like protect you from evil so we have um, characters on both sides of the line and characters who go from one side of the line to the other where we're constantly questioning um, you know are they inherently bad or are they inherently good? But when you like, I mean, that is the question. Like that's the question we have about humanity. Like that is the eternal question. Are bad people like really bad. We had so many discussions back with Angel and his soul and losing his soul about like restorative justice. And, you know, how do we view things um, like this? How do we view people who have done bad things? Um, What is the damage in viewing them as bad people? Or should we view them as bad people? Where is that line? And how do you draw it? And it's not it's not possible. I mean, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I don't don't think it's possible to say um, where that line is clearly, um, which is why this show fucking rules so much is because it makes us wrestle with those questions so much every season in a different way, you know, uh, every season in many ways. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Kennedy yeah. and Paige. Um, every once in a while, I like read an email from one of you that makes me feel like I felt when I was in grad school, like in the, the good side of grad school, because I also felt like yeah. very overwhelmed in parts of grad school. But um, my favorite parts of grad school were where were when I like was in class talking to the other people in my class. And I just was like, I could feel my brain expanding and um and reading these emails like back to back. I just could feel that like those gears turning of like, yeah, like what is at the bottom of this? Nothing. <laughs> (laughs) uh anyway jenny we're almost at the end of the journey we just have a couple of emails left and then a very very special something from our uh our listeners you'll see we'll we'll get there we'll get there all right all right
0: okay so we've got this note from ariel that says hey ladies in case you're wondering about the value of half a baby oh good (laughs) i'm so glad one of these made it in Uh, I think the important part is that both women were mothers, but one mother's baby had died. She took the other baby and claimed it was hers. So one can assume that as a mother whose child had just died, she was in a pretty dark psychological place. It's possible that it was more important to her to see someone else share her pain than protect the surviving child. Oh, God. Right? That's not the fun biblical romp I recall. (laughs)
1: but it does I mean, make a lot more sense I, I know, than what I'm, I remembered. I'm so sorry. It was very hard to witness you go on the same journey I went on where I was like, oh, goody, oh, God. Um, but but I, I thought it was like really like we're just told this story of Solomon's baby and like I just feel like my memory of the story is what your memory was like what the hell is this other lady why does she won't have a baby like it, I didn't even remember um, and, I, and I want to believe that part of that is because of the way that it's told that I'm going to imagine that the psychological pain of that other mother is not really portrayed very deeply in the story right um, which is so fucked up so I thought well we better tell everybody again um, so that they realize that this story is not as simple and silly as we thought, it's actually really deep and dark. Mm. Um, I guess mm. like so many mm-hmm. of these things from our like childhood that we return to and we're like, whoa. <gasps> yeah yikes um, this is a this is a, a, a call an email but a call to listeners that I, I found very powerful and I think is really important right now with where we are um, it, the email comes in from Lee who says dear Jenny and Kristen longtime listener first-time caller from the UK I hope you're both well and keeping safe I'm writing in hopes that during our current coronavirus situation you can help out someone I love my nine-year-old niece Chloe has a rare blood disorder called diamond black fan anemia which means her bone marrow does not produce new red blood cells As a a result, she's highly dependent on blood transfusions as a, mean of, as a means of survival. She has them every three to four weeks. She's had over 100 transfusions in her short nine years on this planet, two oh. before she was even born, which made my head oh explode. My God. Isn't that insane? Um, yeah. I know what you're thinking. And yes, it's possible she is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> to complicate things more, she has a very specific taste and requires a rare blood type that on a good day is low in stock. Naturally, because of COVID-19, blood donation is low as people stay home, which is very important and very smart. However, blood donation is one of the very valid reasons for someone to leave their home and help during this crisis. I was hoping that in one of your near future episodes of the podcast, you would take a moment to encourage your listeners who are healthy enough and eligible to go out and donate blood and to only do so if they are both of these things. One donation can save up to three lives. Chloe is not the only one suffering because of shortages, and I think it is a very noble and valiant option to help right now that isn't really being talked about. So Mm, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't even know that I need to say more. Obviously, uh, Jenny and I are intimately aware with the super fucked up um, medical policies that have followed us from um, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, where um, they just changed it. But it's still very problematic. Uh, it used to be that if you had had uh, if you were a man who had sex with another man within the last 12 months, you could not donate blood. Now uh, they've reduced that to three months, which like, thanks. But that's not really that's not really the answer. So obviously, um, that's been a conversation, an ongoing conversation, and one that we continue. I at least continue to investigate. But if you are somebody that is um, able to donate and um, also you know healthy enough to be able to go outside and, and do this, it is really important. And I agree. I don't think it's being talked about enough. So thank you, Lee, for writing in. Um, and hi, Chloe. Hi, Chloe. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, Jenny, we've made it to the end of the podcast and we have something um, incredibly special. So if you've been with us for a long time, you know that earlier in the series, we were commissioned to travel up to Santa Barbara by the then mayor of Santa Barbara, uh, Helene Schneider. And uh, yes, yes. And uh, Mayor Helene uh, has a group of very good friends up there. They get together and watch Buffy together. And when buffering started, they began adding us into their uh, hangs and listening to buffering together. They're a delight. And they commissioned us to come up to Santa Barbara. It was when we both lived in California. We drove up and they took us on a tour of Santa Barbara. You can listen to the episode. um, Pop on back there in our archives and find it uh, to prove once and for all that Santa Barbara was Sunnydale. And they proved it. And I made the mistake of reading a sign at the train station in crush last episode we had and i called their theories into question um and jenny they were they were not happy so um perhaps i can play (laughs) perhaps i can play i'm gonna play um a little bit of a voicemail they left for us and also um something that they did in response um to answer our uh
2: query This is Darcel Elliott reporting live from Santa Barbara. I'm the one that gave you the binders full of evidence proving conclusively that Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. And I'm just calling to say, how dare you? And this is former Santa Barbara Mayor, Helene Schneider to just really emphasize that while I might not be in office anymore, I can assure you that Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. And we may feel far away from each other, but. We know for sure that this is right. This is Professor Tanya Israel from UC Sunny, I mean UC Santa Barbara. Our research team has thoroughly investigated the Sunnydale is Santa Barbara question, and we'd like to articulate our conclusion. Hit it, Heather. Dear City Council, we'd like to lodge a gripe. The train station sign information clearly not right. Since Mayor Wilkins died, our leadership's been lax. Sure, he was evil, but his signs were right, and he paved the street cracks. Oh, we all know Santa Barbara, Sunnydale. The sign says San Francisco, 682 miles away. But there's no SoCal City That distance from the city By the bay Season 4 says Oxnard's Pretty close to Sunny D So SFB that far away Is really not a pun right and we don't think it could be. Living on a hell mouth can mess with true reality like when on an Amtrak trip time tends to expand. Anywhere you go feels like twice as far as you had planned. We're pretty sure we already showed you Santa Barbara sunny day Oh we all know Santa Barbara sunny day And the sign's are just wrong
0: how foolish of us how, i excuse me, how foolish of kristen excuse me to ever oh, wow call into question wow <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um we were going to leave you with that beautiful song. Uh, that was Heather Stevenson, uh, one of the wonderful gang of women who's up there in Santa Barbara. Uh, and to redact. Uh, no, redact? Re, re, What do you, when you go back on something, when you take something out, is it, what are you taking, what is that called? Redacted. It is retracted. Retracted. Uh, Retracted. Retracted. We're going to retract. I am going to personally retract my statement um, and say I I am willing to say here today once and for all, regardless of anything I will see for seasons forward, Sunnydale is Santa Barbara and anything we see to the contrary is simply bullshit a mistake mm-hmm. and a lie on Sunnydale's part. You're right. The management of Sunnydale's signage system is probably completely in chaos after yeah. the mayor left. I mean, you know, definitely. Like, totally. So um thank you Kristen for putting. Is sorry for what she said. I-, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm deeply sorry. Um, but I'm I'm like I'm like 98% sorry, but then like two percent super thrilled because we would have never gotten this song had it not been for Mm -hmm. me being a monster and uh trying to put a put a dent in your theory over there so thank you thank you all of you um (laughs) for putting us in for putting me (coughs) in my (coughs) place uh well it's been a a wonderful time journeying through these emails i i've had a great time how about you jenny a blast. A, blast. a total blast. A blast. And um, when we do mailbags in the Patreon feed, we uh, do not howl out. But I think because this is in the main feed, we should probably howl.
0: <gasps> Hell yeah. Okay. Is
1: Frank with you still?
0: Uh, he is not. <sighs> he is sleeping not on my lap anymore.
1: Okay. Frank, Jenny's new dog, in case you missed it, uh, needs to really get on the ball here and start learning these woos. Yeah. But we'll do. we'll do this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Till. Till next
0: time. Ah, <gasps> um, uh, woo!